All right, so we're kicking off a new five-week sermon series. There's going to be a break in the middle for spring break, so it's actually going to go over the course of six weeks, and it's going to take us from now until uh, as we build up to Easter. Um, so this will be the sermon series, and it's on the Bible and emotions. And just to kind of frame the, the, the series together, which is what we want to do today, uh, I'll just kind of tell you how we arrived at this. As a staff, when we plan out the year, we typically plan 18 months in advance. And so as we looked at the next ser- sermon series after our, our marriage, Love, Sex, and Dating series, we said, hey, we've got five or six weeks, what do we want to do? And at first we said, let's walk through Lamentations in the Old Testament. And as we looked at that, we said, well, let's get a little more specific. And there was this idea that came out. Uh, there's a movie called Inside Out. It's a Disney film about where you're exploring the emotions. And one of the things we, we thought of is, hey, it'd be really cool to just talk about emotions because this is kind of a hot topic these days. And as we talked to life group leaders and we looked at different life groups, these common themes started coming up. Uh, life groups would say, hey, we have a lot of people in our life group uh, who are dealing with depression. Or we have a lot of people in our life group who are dealing with anger and conflict with their roommates. Like, oh, my roommate is smelly and doesn't change her clothes or change her sheets or clean her side of the sink. Or some of her are like, my roommate is too clean. And she's always getting on my case about cleaning stuff and changing my clothes and cleaning my side of the sink. Right? And so there are all these anger issues that pop up. Or we have people who are dealing with suicide and suicidal thoughts. Or we have people who are just dealing with sadness or anxiety and just all these emotions. And as a, as a leadership team, we just came to this conclusion, hey, we, we have a lot of people in our fellowship who just, they don't really have a framework for a, a processing through emotions in a healthy way. And so what if we did a sermon series on the Bible and emotions? And so that's what we came to. We said, hey, let's do a sermon series to really help us understand what are emotions, and what's the Bible say about emotions, and what can we do with all of this, right? And so that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. To, to really set this up, I want to talk about um, why it is I think that Christians in particular struggle with emotions, okay? Because all of our people in our life groups who are struggling with depression and anxiety, they would all tell us we, we struggle with emotions, we don't know how to deal with them. And I have to ask the question, why is that? Why is it that 120 college students don't know how to properly work through emotions? And so that's the question that drove me uh, to begin this series, and to, uh, it's a, the question I want to answer today. And so I want to offer up a theory, and it's going to be kind of a, an extended introduction that's going to be multimedia uh, interactive here. So if you'll just uh, uh, stay with me for the next 20 minutes or so, we'll get, we'll get good at this, okay? And so let me just talk to you about one of my favorite artists of all time. It's a guy named Ryan Adams. Do we have any Ryan Adams fans here today? Okay, now I want to be clear. I didn't say Brian Adams, okay? This isn't the guy from the Cimarron soundtrack or the Robin Hood soundtrack, okay? Not the Canadian, American rock and roll scene. I'm talking about Ryan Adams with an R, okay? We still good with Ryan Adams? Okay, okay, some of you are like, no, I, was, I thought you said Brian Adams. Ryan Adams has pioneered something called alternative country. And what it is is it's, it's those who want to do country music, but they want to do it not as pop, but country music as alternative rock, okay? So it's as if, what if, like, all the good country music happened after Nirvana? And so it's, like, inspired by this angsty garage country music. So it's, like, folk angst, Okay. And um, he, he's, uh, he was part of a band called Whiskey Town, and there are bands like Wilco, some of these other bands who are really uh, into uh, alternative country. And I like it. It's just this unique sound, and I, I really like what they're trying to do. Well, Ryan Adams is a very prodigious artist. He's covered lots of different uh, pop songs. 
and a couple of years ago, he got very ambitious on a project he wanted to do. He wanted to cover every song, track for track, from Taylor Swift's 1989. Okay, so how many of you know Taylor Swift's 1989 album, right? Okay, we got fans here, right? Most famous song on there is what? It's Not Bad Blood. What's the most famous song? Come on. It's Shake It Off. Shake It Off is the most famous song. It's in every commercial, right? You guys know Shake It Off, right? Because the player's going to play, 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 and the hater's going to hate, hate, hate. But I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off, right? Okay, so Adam's heard the album. He loved it. But uh, here's what happens with music, okay? Uh, when musicians are creating something from nothing, what they do is really the, the lyrical side of things, the writing the lyrics, um, and the musical side of things, the, the arranging the song itself, the vehicle that's going to, to kind of convey the meaning of the lyrics to the listener, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, and uh, when you arrive at a song and cut it and put it on a, a, a CD or on digital download, uh, it's kind of this twofold process where you're, they're going hand in hand. But once, once that song is now received, uh, a consumer of that song, they, they, they hear the whole thing as one, and they just go, wow, that was really incredible, right? Well, what Ryan wanted to do is he looked at um, 1989 as lyrics only. And he said, what if, what if I re-recorded this album and reimagined this album only based on the lyrics? Let the lyrics drive the music. And, and he, he found something that was really interesting, is that although Taylor Swift is very happy and fluffy and poppy in the way that she records her music, um, much of the content of her lyrics is actually very sad and depressing and brooding and angsty. And that's what he really identified with. And so his reimagining of the album actually comes out very sad and depressing and angsty and moody because a lot of her lyrics are. And so just to give you uh, just a little snippet of this, Taylor Swift wasn't offended. She really, she really loved this. And they, uh, GQ had them interview each other about the, the two projects once his came out. And um, just to kind of show you what she thought, about his reimagining and rearranging of things. I have this little clip we're going to watch here. Mogul Max will throw it up on the screen. Take a look at this. It's a really weird part of the song. Instead, I put pauses. It's like, you know, when, you know, actors say a line, they say a sentence, but they say it with different emphasis on different words and right. they completely change it. That's what you did with my album. Like, if you take a song like All You Had to Do Was Stay, my version of it is like, All You Had to Do Was Stay, sorry about it, I don't miss you, and now you're back. See, I don't, Yours I don't look is good like. When I click my air like that. <laughs> Have the same effect. Yours is like, all you had to do was say, you broke my heart. That's all you had to do. Right? Okay, so you get the feel there. Like, if you guys know the song, all you had to do was stay, hers is all like, you know, all you had to do was stay, like attitude, right? And Adam's is like this broken down man. All you had to do was stay, right? It's so depressing and just, but if you think about it, the lyrics there, uh, they, they're ambiguous. They, they can be open to those two meanings, right? Well, uh, I want to uh, pull up maybe a more uh, appropriate song, and I want to pull up uh, the song from your memory, Shake It Off. And here's the chorus, right, if you guys know it. Um, the hater's going to hate, 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 and the player's going to play, 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 play. But I'm just going to shake, 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 shake it off, shake it off. And, and the whole song of Shake It Off, if you think about it, it's about bullying, Right? It's about people who are coming against Taylor Swift or the, the writer and bullying them, coming against them. And she's having to muster up the emotional fortitude to shake everything off and persevere in light of a lot of oppression, right? It's bullying, okay? And so I just want to set that out there 
And I want to do a thought experiment right here. We have a song whose lyrics are about bullying. How should that song be presented artistically? Is bullying a generally happy thing or is bullying a generally sad thing and depressing thing, right? And so just to give us maybe a little bit of a science experiment, thought experiment here, I want to show you a famous scene of bullying in film. Uh, it's a film called Back to the Future, the original. You guys know Back to the Future? Okay. For, for, for our sake, I tried to pick a happy film about bullying because there's some really sad ones out there, right? But uh, here's a famous scene where Biff comes into the diner and he is going to bully George McFly with Marty McFly sitting right next to him. Mogul Max, go ahead and throw that up on the screen. Hey There's guys, how are slur. you doing? Yeah, you got my homework finished, McFly? Uh, well, actually, I figured since it wasn't due till Monday. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. I gotta have time to recopy. You realize what would happen if I hand in my homework and your handwriting? I'll get kicked out of school. You wouldn't want that to happen, would you? Would you? Well, now, of course not. No, I wouldn't no. want that to happen. What are you looking at, butthead? Hey, Biff, get all of this guy's life preserved. Dork thinks he's gonna drown. Yeah. So, uh, how about my homework, McFly? Uh, okay, Biff. Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish that on up tonight, and then I'll, uh, bring it over first thing tomorrow morning. Hey, not too early. I sleep in Sunday. Oh, mm -hmm. McFly, your shoe's untied. Oh, oh, uh, <laughs> don't be so gullible, McFly. Okay. I don't want to see you in here okay. again. Okay. <laughs> all right, bye-bye. All right, so there's the scene on bullying. Biff comes in, throws out a racial slur. He's physically assaulted. Uh, he physically assaults uh, George a couple of times. He threatens him. Uh, he blackmails him. I mean, this is a pretty intense scene. And I don't know if any of you are here, uh, if any of you were bullied in middle school or high school, but there's nothing fun about that, right? I mean, I was, th just think about the emotions that that produces inside of you, just the thought of bullying. I was someone who was bullied a, a, a tremendous amount. And it was never fun. I, I would go home and be frustrated and angry about my tormentors. And I would start to dream about ways that I could, like, you know, put, like, an Italian car bomb on their bicycle or something like that, right? Because when you're bullied, you feel defenseless and voiceless and, like, you have no power and no control over the situation. And it's pretty horrendous, right? And so if that's the case and that's the scene, you notice this scene has no music to it. Let's take Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. And let's just play the scene back with her song as the soundtrack. And let's just see if that fits, right? Max, play the next uh, version of this on there. Oh, he's getting physically assaulted. Isn't this fun? Oh, racial slurs. Okay, that's good, Max. Thanks. Right, that doesn't fit, does it? No, this is what's called dissonance. The, the, the lyrics and the music don't go together. There's no, there's no amount of poppiness and excitement and energy you can do to make bullying seem like it has a, a happy ending. It's sad, it's depressing, it's frustrating. There, this song doesn't work, right? And Ryan Adams knows that. And so when Ryan reimagines it, he reimagines it uh, given the tone that's appropriate for the logic of the lyrics. And so now I want you to watch this scene again just a little bit with Ryan Adams' cover of Shake It Off playing. Go ahead and play that for us, Max. Oh, 
Doesn't that fit a little bit better? You got the sad kind of uh, uh, bluegrass kind of elements in there and the sly guitar. And he's got a lot of anger and uh, uncertainty in his voice, right? So this is more appropriate for the emotional state of those lyrics. Now, um, there is a, uh, a, an author, Old Testament author and theologian named James K. Smith. And when the album came out, he, he had this to say about it. It was really interesting because he started to make the connection between Adam's reimagining of 1989 with the church. And here's what he writes. He said, but then Ryan Adams comes along and takes you back to lament and reminds you of all the minor chord moments of the biblical narrative and invites you into, so, uh, into a sonic environment. In other words, an environment where the sound matches the feeling that actually tells the truth about the broken world you live in, and that your neighbors live in, and that refugees from Syria live in. Worship should be a proclamation that tells the truth, not just lyrically, but in terms of sound. And that means music that resonates with broken hearts. Even though the gospel exhorts, uh, exhorts us to lift up our hearts, sometimes that only happens because God in Christ comes down to meet us in our brokenheartedness. That will sometimes happen in a song. I thought that was such a great representation of or, or analysis of what's going on in us as we listen to music, and specifically as we listen to music as Christians, and especially as we think about our emotions as Christians, because I want to draw this parallel, okay? Because the question we're trying to ask or answer here is, why is it that so many Christians struggle with emotions, Right? Especially when we have the Bible and we have all the answers. And, and here's what I think, uh, just at least one answer, I think it's a multi-answered approach, but I think one answer that helps us understand that is this. Um, we have Taylor Swift who writes pop music for really sad lyrics, right? Um, let me make the parallel. In Christian music, there has been this tendency over the last 20 years or so to write all Christian music in terms of pop. Meaning every Christian worship song that ever comes out has to be inspirational and upbeat and happy. And just think about any Christian worship song you listen to. Are any of them played in minor chords? Are any of them really like introspect introspective and thoughtful? Most of them are like, Jesus, we love you. <coughs> yeah, Jesus, we love you. <coughs> Put your hands in the hair, clap, here we go. <coughs> right? And so most Christian music gets reduced to this narrow kind of set of feelings and emotions. It's joy, it's peace, it's happiness. That's all the music uh, gets conveyed as. And if your song isn't joy and happy and peace, it doesn't get recorded. And because most of Christian music gets, gets narrowly smashed into this filter of only joy music, and because Christian worship services largely are organized around Christian worship music, our worship services 
are reduced to one emotion, joy, happiness, peace. And so when people show up to church, no matter how they feel, they are ushered into this atmosphere that is very happy and upbeat and moving. And the opening song has to be fast, and it has to get our hearts racing, and it has to get our blood flowing because it's early in the morning and the caffeine hasn't done that yet, right? And that's how a Christian worship service works. And so here's what happens. There are a lot of different emotions some, some psychologists say there are four, some say six, some say eight, but let's say there are six of them. There are six emotions that we deal with as human beings. Joy, sadness, fear, anger, guilt, and shame. And if you're a human being, you're going to cycle through all of those on different days of the week, different seasons of the year. And let's say you show up to a worship service and you're feeling shame. And you walk in and the music's like, mms, 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 mms. and all the people are standing up and they're lifting their hands and they're clapping and they've got smiles on their face. What are you likely to think? Oh, all those other people are happy and I'm not. They must be better Christians than I am. Maybe I just won't go to church today. Barna says, uh, he's a sociologist and does a lot of polling, George Barna, and he says that the average person attends church once a month. And it it just kind of mesmerizes church growth strategists. They, they always ask all the time, why is it people aren't coming to church, right? Why are they not coming to church four weeks out of the month? And I want to ask this. Is it possible that one of the reasons why people don't come to church, come to a weekly worship service four times a month, is because people don't feel happy four Sundays in a month? And so they're not going to come sit in a worship service that's trying to tell them they can only be happy when they feel sad. Or that they can only feel happy when they feel anxious. Or they can only feel happy when they feel depressed. Here's what I want to, uh, on that point right there, here's what I want to bring to us today. I think that it's time to have an honest conversation about the Bible and feelings. And I think if we could look at scripture and see what the Bible has to say about feelings and emotions and all these things, I think we might arrive at a drastically different conclusion about what it means to be an individual Christian and about what it means to to be in a community of Christians, and about what it means to organize a worship service of Christians that is based on a scriptural understanding of emotions and not simply a music industry-driven understanding of emotions. And that's what I want to do today. That's all I want to do today, is I want to see what it might be like, and just cast a vision for what it might be like if the Bible dictated our emotional understanding and well-being. So if you guys are with me on doing that, I want to invite you to pray with me, and we'll jump into John 11. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us truth that helps us to understand uh, our world and especially our own emotional well-being. And as we jump into your word today, I pray that you teach us for your glory and for the good of the people here. In your name we pray, amen. I I want to... uh, I want to give you guys three true statements here tonight, three true statements, and I want to make three practical applications, and then I want to be done, okay? And I'm going to give you the true statements. I'm not going to read the Bible and arrive at them for this one, just because I think uh, in our kind of state of being, it's going to be helpful for just to give you truth and then show you how that truth comes out. So first truth statement I want you guys to understand is this, and if you have bulletins, you can write on them. Here's what it is. First big truth, the Bible speaks to all emotions. (coughs) The Bible speaks to all emotions. And you have on your bulletin uh, a a number of these passages, and I'll just read through them quickly. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The reason he has to tell people to not be anxious is because they were anxious, right? Because the Bible's honest about that. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Baptist, be cool. Um, Romans 12, Paul writes this, rejoice, have joy, be happy with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Paul writes again in Ephesians, be angry. See, he says it, be angry. Go ahead, go ahead, be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. Uh, David writes in, in the Psalms, or the psalmist writes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And again, in Psalm 30, David writes, for his anger, God's anger, is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, that's just, I could go, we could pull up a hundred of these in there. But suffice to say this, guess what the Bible speaks to? All of the emotions. Uh, anger, frustration, happiness, sadness, depression, guilt, shame. Um, uh, any of the others you might come with, surprise, disgust, fear. The Bible speaks to all of them over and over and over and over again. The Bible talks about all emotions. And if that's the case, there's some impl implications. But before we jump into the next big truth statement, I just want to read something that's going to be crucially important for us today for our message. And it's in John 11. We're starting verse 30. It'll be on the screen in case you don't have a Bible handy. Verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Here's what happened. Mary's brother, Lazarus, died. Jesus is at the wake. Okay? Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Then they said to him, Lord, come and see. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus has come in. He sees that people are crying around him. He sees that there is a body. He's moved. And obviously, Jesus is a good Christian. So in the next verses, what we should read is, then Jesus found joy in the Lord. And he overcame all of these stupid emotions. And he was just calm and happy. And he put on a Chris Tomlin song. And everything was all better. And he walked outside and posted to social media with a selfie. Hashtag, everything's great because I'm a Christian. Hashtag, no emotions. Hashtag, robot. Right? That's what we see next, right? Verse 35. Shortest verse in the entire Bible. If you have a problem memorizing scripture, I want to invite you to start here. Okay? Because it's, it's two words. Here it is. Ready? Let's just say it together. Okay? Ready? Here we go. 35. Jesus wept. You know what weeping means? It didn't say Jesus cried. Jesus wept. You know what weeping is? Weeping is when you get snotty if you're crying so much, okay? Like he is bawling his eyes out. He is so deeply moved. He is so sad that his friend is dead and that people are sad. He is, he, it's, he's overcome with sadness and he's weeping. The Lord of the universe, the guy who created everything, God is weeping. The Bible is so clear that humans experience all emotions. The Bible speaks to all these emotions so and so that the Lord of the created universe, he even experiences emotions. Just let that sit in. Jesus cried and he ugly cried, okay? Like he was watching a chick flick 
where there was the tension established at the very beginning, and you weren't sure that he and her were going to get together, and they just missed path, and so now she's going with her girlfriends, and she's crying, and you get the box of Kleenex, and you start ugly crying and snotting all over the place, right? Jesus is doing that right now. He's weeping. Verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. You know what it means to be deeply moved again? You know when you've cried a lot, and you've cried, and you cried, and you cried, and you can't cry anymore, there's no more liquid in your body, right? You're now dehydrated from crying, or you're decryhydrated, that's how that works, right? And you, you are like, okay, you've gotten yourself together, and you get up, and you're like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, I've cried. And then you walk, and then the emotions hit you again, and you're like, it's not going to be okay. And you have to sit down, and you're just like overcome, and you're like, oh, and now you're dry crying or drying. You're just, oh, right? That's what it means to be deeply moved again. Jesus has these emotions still going through him. You kind of get the sense that he's like, no, no, just give me a sec, give me a sec, hold on. Okay, I'm good, I'm good. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. <gasps> Lazarus, Right? And that's what he's doing. He's moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. <coughs> I'm sorry, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead, dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. In other, other words, uh, the body is starting to stink. In the King James, it says, he stinketh. Like, no joke, if you read that in the King James, Jesus, Lazarus, stinketh, right? So it's smelly in there. There's been no embalming. There's... They don't have those funeral procedures, right? Probably procedure, right. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? In verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Okay. Jesus hadn't said anything right there. So why would he say, Father, I thank you that you have heard me? You know what, you know what God heard, the Father heard? He heard his crying. He heard his emotions, okay? And what dad, when their kid's crying, isn't just like, oh, come here. Like, my, my son right now, he just has the most pitiful cry. Like, he'll run around the house. He's a big, tough boy. He'll throw a soccer ball. He can already do an overhead throw with a soccer ball. It's super awesome, right? So he'll throw it, and he'll run around, and he'll trip, and he'll fall. And then that lip will get going, and he'll start crying. Like, ah. And he does this thing now where he puts his hands up, and he's about, like, waist high to me or maybe his head's just below and he'll run and he'll just throw his head into my leg right just like boom right there and he'll just lean there until I pick him up if I don't pick him up he'll just cry and lean there okay what kind of jerk dad is like emotions no <laughs> learn to be a robot right I mean what kind of heartless person right this is God the father right he's like my son I, I, I've heard you right and he's 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 holding him close in this moment this is what's happening. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, he says in verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. In verse 43, when he had said this, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And if you've read the story, we keep going. Verse 44, the man who died came out, his hand is feet unbound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus gets out of the tomb, even though he stinketh, right? And there's a great miracle there, right? That's for sure 
a, a suspension of the natural order. People are not supposed to die and then come back from life. That's a miracle. But there's something else going on there that you don't see. The miracle follows this intensely emotional scene between Jesus and the people and then between the Father and Jesus. Jesus has emotions. God responds in emotions. He meets people there. God suffers with Jesus in that moment. And though that, that, that was in the mix, in the midst of this miracle. And so I want you to understand, based on that and all the other verses we read here, the first big truth is this. The Bible speaks to all, emo, uh, all emotions. And therefore, the second truth is important, and that's this. It is normal and okay to experience all emotions. It's normal, if you're a human being, for you to experience all the emotions, Right? Uh, people will come to me uh, sometimes, especially when we do prayer time afterwards, I'll have this, people come in or say, man, I'm just feeling, and they'll fill in the blank, I'm just feeling down, or I'm just feeling depressed, or I'm just feeling sad. And oftentimes, you can talk to these people, I will say the same thing. I'll go, okay, well, that means you're normal, right? And they'll kind of look at me like, well, that wasn't what I was going for, and that may not be what I'm going for, right? But I just try to tell them, okay, that's normal. It's normal to feel that way. Like, you know, I'm feeling really angry right now. Okay, well, that's normal. Like, oh, no. Again, there's this thing in Christian subculture where the only thing you can say is joy. I'm feeling happy. I'm joy in the Lord. I've got peace. I've got a peace that surpasses all understanding, right? So you come and you're like, well, I'm feeling angry, but if you'll just pray with me, then I'll have joy and I'll go. Well, maybe not. I might pray with you and you might still feel angry. That's normal. It's normal to feel angry. It's normal to feel happy. It's normal to feel sad. It's normal to sometimes get depressed. It's normal to feel anxiety. It's normal to be afraid. It's normal to have guilt and shame. That's normal, right? It doesn't mean that it's bad or you messed up or you somehow sinned or forgot to pray or have a quiet time this morning. It means you're a human being. Feelings happen. They're normal. It just comes up, right? So the Bible speaks to all emotions. It's normal and okay to experience them all. If you experience them, great. You're a human being. Good job. You're a part of the human race. But this is the third one. We worship God with all of our emotions. We worship God with all of our emotions. The Bible speaks to all emotions. It's normal to have and experience all the emotions. And what we see in Scripture is there's a way to worship God in every emotion. Think about that. There is a way to worship God when you're angry. Okay? In fact, I was reading in Psalm 137, if you can read this, I'll just flip on over. It won't be on the screen or anything, but uh, Psalm 137 is what's known as a capricatory psalm. You guys like capricatory psalms? Um, it's a category of psalms that are psalms that, that are spoken in anger. Because uh, what happens in the Old Testament is that Israel is deported several times. These foreign Nations come in and they capture Israel and they deport everybody in Israel. And so you got to imagine people are walking from their homeland to like some foreign land like Babylon, modern day Iraq. So they're walking from modern day Jerusalem to modern day, you know, Baghdad. And, you know, it's hot and they're angry because they're under enemy hand. And so we wouldn't expect people to start writing psalms like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it, right? No, here's what they write, okay? Psalm 137 verse 8 or verse 7 remember O lord against the edomites the day of jerusalem how they said lay it bare lay it bare down to its foundation in other words they destroyed the city O daughter of babylon 
doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. And that's the last verse in the psalm, right? Go read that today. Psalm 137, 9. In, in fact, here's the title that they give to the Psalm 139. How shall we sing the Lord's song? That's apparently how you sing the Lord's psalm. May you take their infants and smash their heads against rocks so that blood comes out and they die. The end. Amen. Have a good day. Okay? Nothing redeeming about that. Chris Tomlin is not writing a song about that right now. Okay? Well, why are people writing that? And how did that get past the censors and into the Bible? Well, because, hey, guys, the Bible speaks to all emotions. Because as a human being, you're going to experience all the emotions. And this is a template on how you can worship God in all the emotions. And so I want to give you the three practicals now. Those are the three big truths. Let me give you the three practicals. And by the way, in the rest of the series, we're going to re rehearse this over and over and over again. So I want you guys to get those three truths in. Here are the three practicals. And these practicals are going to form our methodology for how we're going to worship God in all emotions. And here they are. Number one, your emotions are a gauge, not a guide. Your emotions are a gauge, not a guide. We live in a culture where in the 20th century in particular, but really starting in the 1900s, 1800s, <coughs> uh, there's this idea, romanticism, transcendentalism, that your emotions should somehow have a higher priority in helping you make decisions in life. In fact, there's a gentleman that you guys may know named Walter Disney. Some people call him Walt. Uh, and he has this uh, phrase he says over and over again, let your heart be your guide. You ever heard that before? And basically what the heart is, is it's at the center of a, of a Western idea of emotions. So we're to let our emotions be our guide. So if we need to make decisions, we just follow our heart, right? Just follow your emotions. What do you want most in life? And just follow that, and all your dreams will come true. And we're told that if we watch Disney stories from over and over, you know, from the time we're little, over and over and over again, let your heart be your guide. Let your heart be your guide. And here's the reality. If you let your emotions be your guide, you're going to do some really dumb stuff in life, right? And I'm not asking for any testimonies, but can, can you guys understand that? Like, think about this in the course of romantic dating relationships, right? Any of you wear your emotions on your sleeve and that gets you into trouble, right? Uh, you're with a boyfriend maybe and he picks up the phone and he's like, <laughs> and he sends a text back and you're like, oh no, who is that, right? And then the emotions come out and he's like, that was my mom. And then it gets really awkward, right? Why are you texting your mom right now? You should be, right? Letting your emotions be your guide and guide you in that moment, not a great idea, right? It's 1 o'clock in the morning. You just get off of wherever you are, Universal, Disney, your fun zone, fun spot, wherever, right? And you're like, man, I'm hungry. You know what would sound really good right now? Waffle House, right? And so you go to Waffle House, and they're like, what do you want? Do you want the really safe breakfast special that won't give you indigestion? Or we have this new Super secret, brand new breakfast special that was, will be sure to give you indigestion and diarrhea. You're like, I want the super special one. Because I feel it. I'm feeling good. Yes. Give me the platypus waffles. Yes. That sounds awesome. Right? And how do you feel at 8 in the morning when you can't sleep because you're sitting on the commode? Awful. Your emotions betrayed you. Right? If you've learned anything from Star Wars and becoming a Jedi, it's that your emotions can betray you. And that's totally true. Your emotions... They're a great gauge. They're a terrible guide. Your emotions can't be your guide. But here's the thing. There's been this kind of uh, <coughs> Christian subculture recoiling 
If your emotions can't be your guide, then they're terrible. So you need to be a robot where joy is the only emotion. No, your emotions, guys, are a gauge. Um, you ever been driving a car and a um, little light comes on the dashboard and it says you're low on fuel? You ever try to drive past that? It's, it's the scariest thing ever, isn't it? It's so scary. You're like, I've got 19 miles here, okay? I can make it. I'm on I-4. I'm on my thumb, right? But the whole time, it's like Russian roulette with your car, right? You're just like, oh, boy, right? Here's what that is. That's a gauge. That's saying, whoa, you need to be aware of this. Your emotions, guys, they're a gauge. They're like a gauge on the dashboard of your life. And so when you wake up in the morning and, and you're feeling something, it'd be really good for you to go, okay, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling really angry. Okay. Why am I feeling really angry? And the thing can process it. That's not like now a guide. You're like, I'm feeling angry. I'm going to kill my teacher, right? That's, that's the story of serial killers. Don't do that. It's a terrible guy, right? No, but it's important to go, I'm feeling angry right now. So I need to be very careful about my words today, right? Because I might lash out in anger. And I need to just be very aware of this. I need to be very prayed up about this. Uh, emotions, they're a great place to begin in your quiet time. How am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's going on in my soul right now? It's a good gauge to help give you a snapshot of where you are. They're your gauge. Number two, the Bible is your guide. The Bible is your guide. Here's how I'm feeling. What does the Bible have to say about how I'm feeling right now? Jesus, how might you guide me in the midst of all of that? Right? The Bible becomes your guide. And in fact, in Scripture, specifically in the Lamentations, in Psalms, Occasionally in Proverbs and some of this wisdom, poetic literature in the Old Testament that we don't like to read because we are a New Testament subculture here. But in this Old Testament, we've all this really good stuff about your emotions. And what it does is it gives you these templates on how to process through your emotions before Jesus in a biblical, biblically faithful, scriptural kind of way. So I want to encourage you to maybe start reading through the Psalms or the Lamentations through the series. So your emotions are gauged. The Bible is your guide. Number three, knowing Jesus is your goal. Knowing Jesus is your goal. Here's how I feel. Here's what scripture tells me to do. Jesus, how can I know you more in this emotion? I'm feeling angry. Jesus, were you ever angry? Oh, look, here in scripture is where it shows you're angry. What did you do? Cool. I want to know you more in processing through this biblically. This is going to be our method as we uh, spend the next four weeks. And so what we're going to do uh, over the next four weeks is we're going to look at just pairs of emotions each week, and we're going to use this methodology. Here's when I felt this uh, emotion. Here's where I turned in Scripture. Here's what Scripture says I should do. Here's how I worship Jesus in this way. But to give you guys just kind of one final <coughs> uh, illustration to try to tie all this together um, before the band comes up here, I, I want to show you this picture here. Uh, Mogul Max, throw that on the screen. This was Monday for me. So you can notice how the right side of the screen is more swollen than the left side. Um, that's because last Friday uh, I was, you know, with my family, and all of a sudden I felt this intense pain going through, radiating from the top part of my teeth. And I was like, what is going on with my teeth? I don't know what's going on. So I'm, like, trying to ice it and trying to deal with it. But the more I touched it, the more painful it was. I was like, oh, I guess I have a cavity. I'm not sure. Saturday the pain was so intense it knocked me to my feet. Like, it was just just unbelievably intense. By Sunday evening, we had a pastor's uh, and pastor's families get together at Pastor David's house. Um, and, like, I, I, I tore my ACL playing basketball. 
and also tore both meniscus and blue cartilage off the bottom of my knee all at one go, right? And then I had surgery on that, and I got moved into the car, and my leg was stiff from surgery, and it was in a brace, and, but my, my wife's car wasn't long enough for my legs, so the orderly kind of had to bend my knee immediately after surgery, and, you know, radiating pain shot through my whole body. Sunday evening was worse. It was the worst pain I've ever been in in my life. Um, I was just in miserable pain. Some of the pastors, they had connections, so they put in calls to the dentist. Like, I'm calling a dentist who's in, like, a hunting stand somewhere, and I'm like, hi, can I see you tomorrow? He's like, okay. Like, Pastor David, Pastor Danny are pulling out all the stops, trying to take care of me because they love me because they're awesome pastors. Um, so I, I get in to go see a dentist, and the dentist on the phone, he's like, yeah, you probably have, like, you need a root canal. Um, that's the pain you're feeling, and I'm going to assign you kind of drugs, and I'm going to assign you Tylenol 3 with, like, codeine because you're in an immense amount of pain. And I was like, okay, whatever. Now, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, okay? I ran long distance and cross country. I love to push myself. I love being in pain and then pushing past it. I love it. Like, I just, that's just, that's my thing. So when I tell you I was in the worst pain of my life, it was unbelievable pain Sunday night, right? And so we leave the pastor's party, and I'm driving home, and I'm just in pain, and Natalie's trying to help me out. And I'm thinking in my mind, talking to her, why don't you call the, the 24-hour CVS on Sand Lake Road? But what comes out is, Natalie, just call CVS on Sand Lake Road. It's like somehow I got possessed by a demon. I don't know what happened. I was just in so much pain. And so I got home, and she went and got the drugs, and she put it in my system. And then Monday morning, I went to the dentist. He was like, yeah, you need a root canal. And then I, I got in at 2.30 on Monday and sat down, and the surgeon there, like, looked at it. He's like, yeah, you need a root canal. And 24 minutes later, I would got the root canal, and I was all numbed up or whatever. And, um, and, and that was it. And that's what I looked like when I left. I was my, it, the, the, when you have a root canal problem, there's an infection that will often shoot up into the tissue above your, your gum line. And so my eye was swollen, and it was, like, blocking my sinus passages. And, like, it was just unbelievable pain. I was in so much pain, I was taking Tylenol uh, with codeine, right? I was in so much pain that the Tylenol with codeine, after taking it every four hours, it didn't even kick in until 36 hours later. So, like, I was just like, yeah, it's kind of helping with the pain. It's still a little bit there, and that was that way for, like, 36 hours. And then, like, uh, I think I was with Alec. I think I was eating lunch with Alec. And we're just eating lunch, and I'm fine, and everything's good. And all of a sudden, I went, oh, I'm real tired. And I went to sleep, right? That's how much pain I was in. So I want to take you back to Monday night. I get home. I'm in pain. Um, I'm taking my meds. My wife has a cold. My son has a cold. My daughter has a cold. I had just gotten over a cold. My wife, I put her in bed. I turn on the humidifier. She takes medicine. She's knocked out. Okay? My son's upstairs in his crib. My daughter is sleeping in her bed. At 11.30... My daughter cries. And so I go upstairs to take care of her, and I have to sleep with her to help her kind of go back to sleep, make sure she'll comfortable, right? So she goes back to sleep. Um, I can't sleep at the time. I'm in immense pain, but I'm like, okay, Natalie can't go up to do this. I've got to go do it. And I've got to walk up and down stairs every time we do this in our house. And I, you know, I had knee surgery, so walking up and down stairs is, is tough. So I'm walking upstairs, and I'm just getting more and more angry because I'm in pain, 
I'm like, oh my gosh, now I can't do this, and I'm doing the whole woe is me thing, and I'm just feeling really frustrated. I, I laid off my daughter. My daughter is distraught. Like, she wakes up, and she's like, what's going on? Where am I? Who are you? I'm like, oh, baby, let me lay down with you. She's like, no. She's like punching me, and I'm just, and then she like hits me right in the jaw right there, and so pain radiates, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so angry right now, and I'm like putting her into like a, you know, like hold her down to get her to go to sleep. I'm like choking her out. She's not tapping out. I'm like, oh, she's got a career in the octagon. This is amazing, right? <laughs> finally, finally, I lay down with her. She goes to sleep. It's now 1230. I wake up. I'm in immense pain. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so mad. I've got to go back downstairs. I get downstairs. I'm trying to calm down. My wife's, I'm try trying not to mess with her. I get a blanket. I lay down on the couch. I hear my son crying. I look on the monitor. He's standing up in his crib trying to crawl over, one of those things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's, so I get upstairs. It's now like 1 o'clock by the time I get upstairs. And my son is inconsolable. He just does not want to go back to sleep. And so I'm holding him. I'm trying to, like, lay down on the ground. He doesn't want, so I'm having to hold him like this. And I'm in immense pain. And my son he doesn't have control over his neck sometimes when he's tired, so he just goes, pop, and headbutts me right there. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so mad right now. Like, I'm furious. And so I sit down, and I get in the rocking chair, and I'm rocking him. And all I want to do is throw up from the pain, and I'm so mad. And I had this moment where God is, like, talking to me, and, and I can hear it. I'm just in this pain. I'm like, God. I just need my son to go to sleep. I am so tired, and I'm so angry, and I'm in so much physical pain right now, and I wish my wife could be doing this so we could kind of balance the power, but she needs to sleep. And I just move into this lamenting moment. I'm like, how long, oh, Lord, will this pain be lasting? Oh, what was me? And I'm like crying. I'm so mad. And, and I just open my phone to Lamentations 3. And I just had this little moment with Jesus as I'm rocking my son to sleep. Um, let me pull on up. Uh, there we go. Lamentations 3. And here's what I read. Verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in that moment, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, what are my options? My options are that my son stays awake all night and I sit here with him and rock him to sleep. And so I go, okay, Jesus, if that's okay, your grace is going to be sufficient for me and your mercies are going to be new literally until the morning. Um, and if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But Jesus, if you would like to get my son to go back to sleep so I can go downstairs and try to get a little bit of sleep, I'm going to be okay with that option too. Jesus, whatever option you have on the table is fine. If you need me to just be angry and frustrated for a little bit, I'm okay with that. If you want my son to go to sleep, I'm okay with that. Whatever you want, Jesus, that's fine. And let me just tell you something. This kind of peace and contentment just settled over me. I didn't stop being in pain, but I was just kind of content in whatever Jesus wanted. And you know what happened within 10 minutes? My son went to sleep. And the reason probably my son went to sleep is because when you're calm, your baby will be calm. So my, so my son was probably upset because I was upset. And so Jesus calmed me with his word, and he called my son. My son went to sleep, and I went back downstairs, and I laid on the couch, and I slept. And I slept for six hours, and it was beautiful. Well, what just happened right there in that whole moment? Here's what happened. 
My emotions were engaged. I was angry. I was frustrated. There's something going on. I was feeling self-pity. I was feeling very arrogant and self-centered. I turned to the Bible as a guide. And I got to a moment where I could know Jesus more by worshiping him as my goal. And when those three things took place, I was able to process my emotions in a biblically healthy way. And Jesus was glorified. My son got some sleep. Over the next four weeks after this one, I want us to get to a point where we can, in light of those three truths, get to a point where we can process our emotions in a healthy way. In a biblical way. In a way that worships Jesus. Here's what I want us to do to respond. 